But God's motive is to make us better. He brings us into the school of holiness. And in Hebrews 12, and I want you to read this with me, please. We've got to see what the Apostle Paul makes of this in the New Testament here. And it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us for their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. That's Hebrews 12. Verse 10. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, and I trust today God will be gracious and shine His face upon us. Part 2 of the message on Proverbs 3.11, Accepting God's Chastisement. In fact, uh, let me just read to you exactly what the verse says. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. And of course, that's when the Lord is using the rod, we smart and we need to accept what God is doing very graciously. Well, we have a hymn today by Alan McGill, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. Firstly, the message, may the Lord bless you through his word. And we deny that he's great, that he's good, that he's gracious, that he's just, that he's unchangeable, that he's always wise and always in control. And I think that's really the heart of the issue. Is God really in control? Let me take you to a text here, Isaiah 45 and verse 7, uh, chapter 45 in Isaiah and the verse 7. Here is a chapter and here's a passage that really sets out God's workings in all things. He is revealing himself to his people um, because his people were tempted to go to idolatry and worship other gods. And in the book of Isaiah, in this passage in particular, he is countering the straying loyalty of his people Israel. And he's saying, I am the Lord, Jehovah. You, have, you see large uppercase English letters, L-O-R-D, that is, I am Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, self-existing, unchangeable God. And there is none else. There's none else. He is in control. There's no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. 
I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do these things. Do you have a problem with that verse? The evil there, by the way, is not moral evil. It is calamity. I create evil. I do the hard things that fall upon people, like when your house burns down, like when you're a missionary on the field and you lose everything. I create evil. God brings the good things into our lives, but he also at times brings calamity, correction, discipline, and God takes responsibility. God's not dodging. He's not trying to say, well, just I want you to think of me as a good, big, loving, always compliant God. No, you've got to realize that I am so in control that even the calamities and the tough things come directly from my hand. And therefore, it is God's hand of correction that is at work. And what he is asking us then to do as his children and as our Father is to trust him. Trust him in the good times, but also trust him in the difficulties. Joseph's words come into play late in his life's experience after being sold down into Egypt by his wicked brothers. And when they eventually came down to buy corn in Egypt, and Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, uh, the testimony was, As for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. To bring to pass, as at this day, to save much people alive. Joseph was a missionary. And Joseph was raised up by God after his affliction to be a deliverer to his, even his own wicked brothers. And of course, if you had asked Joseph when he was in the prison for two years, what is God doing, Joseph? What's God doing? Couldn't have told you. Couldn't have told you. And you will find in your Christian life that when you have that day of calamity in your life, and you ask the question, what is God doing? There may be no answers coming. But what we must fall back upon is the character of our loving Heavenly Father. And it will require faith conviction that God is too good to do wrong, too wise to make mistake, and too powerful to be out of control. Now you can apply this in so many ways, but we've got to come to the conviction that God works for our good. Now the ultimate example of this principle is Calvary where God sent his Son and allowed the wicked hands of sinful, rebellious men, 
murder his own son. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And there in the agony of crucifixion, men cursed the name of Jesus. And God made him to be a curse for us. Man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And there are so many, they look at Calvary, they look at the cross, and they say it makes no sense. What could it be about? And most liberal-minded, carnal-minded people come up with the notion that Calvary was just a, an example of a great teacher willing to show how he could bear pain nicely. Let me tell you, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not about suffering things nicely. The gospel is about a God who was so wise, so holy, so good, that in his love to save sinful men from their lost, hell-bound condition, he sent his Son and spared him not to redeem his people, to redeem you. And this is the God whom we serve. This is not just a, how he saves sinners, but this is God's character. He takes evil and turns it for good. Now, people always like to think of it in monetary good. You know, the, you get your house burned down, and the insurance company comes through, and you end up with a better house than you had before. And all the mold and the rot and the problems of the first house, you get now a brand new house, and it's better than ever before. And therefore, you can at the end praise God. He is good because you have come through this. What about the soul who has no insurance? What about the people who can't rebuild? What about people who, uh, like those um, in Fort McMurray, and there are still people there out of town and will never go back. Life's changed dramatically. The good to the Christian is to bring us into the school of holiness. I want to move on to that. The love commitment or the chastisement or correction is a sure sign of God's love to us. Let's look at that verse 12 now. Let's go back to Proverbs 3. And verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, his, he correcteth, even as a father the son, in whom he delighteth. In whom he delighteth. What kind of a father is this? He really loves his people. Does a father love his son when he belts him up in a car in a little bucket seat that he cannot move an inch? Does a father love his five-year-old child when he takes him off kicking to kindergarten and say, this is for your education? And he closes the door, and there's probably tears on both sides, and fathers have to go home and comfort their wives and say, little Johnny will be okay. And then Johnny comes home from school with this worst-ever report of his first day at school. It's torture. Is that love? Well, kids come through it, we know. This is the work of a father who truly loves his child, and he corrects because he delights, delights in 
his child. I have a whole word study on this thing on delighteth, and there is built into it, of course, the atoning work of the gospel. And I discovered that this word delighted is found most frequently in the book of Leviticus. Well, after that the sacrifice is offered to God, the animal dies in the place of the sinner, and the smoke arises, and God, we are told that it is a sweet savor in the nostrils of God, that God is well pleased. He accepts the sacrifice, and he's well pleased with the offering and the offerer. And that's how God takes great delight in us. But God's motive is to make us better. He brings us into the school of holiness. And in Hebrews 12, and I want you to read this with me, please. We've got to see what the Apostle Paul makes of this in the New Testament here. And it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us for their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. That's Hebrews 12. Verse 10, if there's anything for you to memorize today, it's this, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see, God as a loving father knows that our eternal happiness and our true growth and joy in Christ in this world is found in our holiness. So there is a school of holiness and when you become a Christian, you sign up for that school program. Father, I want you to make me holy. I want to be a son with your likeness. I want to be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you signed up for something else, you're not a Christian. You might be a moral person with a, a nice few rules and regulations in your life, but a Christian is someone who wants to be saved by Christ, to be made like Christ, who will one day go to live with Christ. And the Christian is in the school of holiness. And we're in training. And a good father who puts us into such training, he does it for are good. Because he knows we are weak, we have to learn the weakness of our flesh. Our pride needs to be honed down. We have to learn by failure before we are ready for blessing. And that's God's school. And that's the hard lessons that God wants us to learn. We make mistakes. The Apostle Peter was in that school when for some reason he thought that he was going to be bold enough and brave enough and strong enough to stand up for Jesus, and then he just fell flat on his face when he denied the Lord three times. Have you ever denied the Lord? Have you ever felt your abject weakness in the presence of ungodly or family or friends, and, and you were 
wordless, powerless to even mention the name of the Lord. We're weak, and we need to be strengthened. When weakness is recognized, it's good for us. What humbles our pride is good for us. What draws us nearer to God is good for us. What reveals God's grace, that's His strengthening Spirit in our heart, that's good for us. And the Father who loves us takes us through many things. Now, the burning of your home is quite dramatic, and it doesn't happen all the time, thankfully. Burning of your car probably would be more frequent. I saw a car along the freeway this week, and serious trouble along the roadside. What a terrible place to break down with uh, the traffic just roaring by, and you're caught there. And if you don't have someone to come to your aid, you're in big trouble. Those things can happen to a Christian. Or maybe that exam you were sitting, and you thought you had really were going to ace it, but there was a curveball in the test, and you weren't expecting it, and you flunked it. What is God teaching you? What's God revealing? Think again of Joseph. He said to his brothers, As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. The Bible analogies on this are, are, are so many. There's the changiness into gold. You have that in Proverbs and in Peter, that he puts us through the fire to purify us, take away the dross, and to bring us forth as pure gold. In the Old Testament, you have the incense, which really were the petals, the leaves of various plants and so on, and to turn them into odorous perfume, to be used as incense in the tabernacle, they had to be beaten and beaten and beaten. And as they were ground to powder, the perfume came from the incense. God is doing that work in each of us. Incense, by the way, in the Old Testament is the use for prayer. And what drives us to our knees, that beating that drives us to our knees, works as incense in the Christian's life. And the Father brings perfume, godliness, holiness, Christ-likeness out of your life by driving you to your knees. That's what he's doing. J. Angle James said, Affliction must be the way of life of incense. It crucifies the world, it mortifies sin, it quickens prayer, it exacts, extracts the balmy sweets of the promises, it endears the Savior. There's a sermon outline. The many things that the incense principle works in the Christian's life. Affliction. If you despise that, if you say, I'm weary of that, I want to jump off this bandwagon of being a Christian and go back to the world. You are really showing that you are seed on the stony ground with no root. Soul trouble sends us, of course, to the cross. It's a strange thing. Our Lord Jesus had to suffer on the cross. 
We in this world as Christians have to endure hard things to make that cross attractive to us. And you will find that in the hardest times of your Christian experience, you will find a sweetness in the cross work, the sufferings of Jesus, that you will not find at any other time. I, 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 it seems an anomaly, an enigma, an opposite principle, but it's the reality of the Christian life. The way up is down, and what drives you to your knees and to the cross works the sweetness of the Savior within your soul. And then heaven. We were reading about heaven there in Revelation 4. Heaven, the prospect of it, will be all the sweeter. And you'll be more ready to leave this world and cast off its so-called pleasures for a season, because you've learned by the rod of chastisement, you've learned by the workings of a good heavenly Father in your soul that the only thing that brings delight and joy to your heart is fellowship with God. And anything that robs that is an enemy. One final point, and we're done. What else does affliction work? Does the chastisement work? It creates a ballast in our life. And it keeps us in the pressures of life. There's a story of a missionary who went amongst uh, people in Abyssinia. Do you know where that is? I would need to Google that one. Abyssinia. A very primitive place, and the peoples there had no modern transport, and they would ford these rivers with rushing waters, and sometimes they would be swept away. But the natives learned how to cross the river safely. And what they would do, they would pick up a boulder, large rock, and they would place it on their shoulder and wade across that water. And of course, the weight of the rock kept their feet firm on the bed of the river so that they could cross on the other side. Now you would say that's very burdensome. Who wants to go through the pain of that? And you might want to take the shortcut and just skip into the water and get swept away. Those who despise and grow weary of God's chastisement are like those who say, I don't want to carry that big rock. I just want to skip and get across. Many want a light, easy, breezy Christianity, and they end up being swept away by the things of this world. And so if you are a Christian, do not allow the ideas of easy believism and carnal thinking to lead you to the conclusion that in your trials God has abandoned you, or that He doesn't hear nor care. But remember that He is a faithful Father. Say that ten times for me. God is a faithful Father. 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 On and on and on. God is a faithful Father. Because that's what's going to count when you're in trouble. That conviction. That absolute assurance. That whatever's going on here, and however this pans out, God will prove Himself faithful. Now that's for a Christian. God is your Father. But if you are not a Christian, if you are not saved, if you are outside of Christ and you're not born again of the Spirit, 
God is not your father. You were never born into his family. You need to be born again, that you might be in his family, and then you will delight in he in him, and he will delight in you. And so I bid you today to consider the goodness of God, and despise not the chastisement, but take delight as God takes delight in your walk, in your Christian life, and in your service for Him. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in Him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely he did something that no other friend could do no one ever cared for me like Jesus there's no other friend so kind as he no one else could take the sin and darkness from me oh how much he cared for me all my life was full of sin when jesus found me all my heart was full of misery and woe Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me And he led me in the way I ought to go Every day he comes to me with new assurance more and more I understand his words of love but I'll never know just why he came to save me till someday I see his blessed face above no ever cared for me like Jesus there's no other friend so kind as he no one else could take the sin and the darkness from me oh how much he
You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.